This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanam. And this is Jamal Dajani. Jamal, we're really fortunate to have you be with us again today in your undisclosed location. I think it's okay to disclose today that you are in, historically, from the Arab and Muslim world perspective, one of the most impressive, beautiful, and amazing places in the world. We're speaking with Jamal live from Granada in Spain. Tell us a little bit about Granada and the rich Arab and Muslim history, Jamal, before we get into some of the politics and issues going on right now. Well, I'm going to sound a little bit like uh, a tour guide for Granada, but uh, I think it should be on everyone's list or everyone's must-visit list when they travel to Europe. It's a beautiful city, rich in history, and of course, uh, this is Arab talk, and Granada has a very rich Arab and Muslim history stretching for more than 800 years, and it still does, actually, in a way, because the biggest attraction, in fact, for those who don't know, the most visited site in all of Spain is Alhambra compound, which houses the uh, emir's palace and at how you know it basically was the center of power for many years here it's the most visited uh, place in in entire uh, spain you know alhambra so uh, it's a lot of things actually also you could compare you know the visit of course it's a beautiful it's a beautiful palace uh, it's it's amazing the way architecturally, the beautiful tiles, the beautiful uh, fountains, the gardens, everything about it. Uh, even the way the gates were uh, structured, they were structured in a very creative, defensive way, so to delay uh, invaders. It's, it's a masterpiece, I would say. It's definitely a master, masterpiece. But the interesting thing about it is I was like reading you know, because every night, even though we studied studied a little bit about the history of Andalusia and uh, the history of when the Arabs came, I mean, at the end of the day, Arabs were invaders. They came into Andalusia as invaders. Tarek ben Ziyad, uh, who crossed Gibraltar, that's why it's named after him, uh, you know, for, on behalf of the... Uh, the Umayyads, uh, right. uh, who were who were based, you know, this is the the caliphate that was based in, in Damascus at, or Dawla al-Amawiyya in Arabic, and then since then they've had different dynasties. Um, you know, it's grown after that main invasion. Uh, pretty much, the Arabs controlled, I would say, the entire Iberian Peninsula, and that's Spain and Portugal, and they've reached. The Pyrenees mountain into into France, but you could see the remnants. I mean, the the kind of the golden era right right here in Granada, and of course also in Cordoba and other places. But in in Granada, it's really to me is the jewel of that whole history. And also, you learn about the last dynasty and. There's a lot of connections, historical connections. One, for example, the discovery of America, you know, by Christopher Columbus. Of course, we know there are different uh, stories about the discovery of America. 
that he wasn't the first, but let's say assuming that Christopher Columbus was the first person to discover America in the year 1492, right? That was the end of the presence of the Arabs in Spain. That's right. That's when on That's right. January 2nd, 1492, just uh, Abdullah Muhammad bin Ali, or Muhammad the Twelfth, known as Bu Abdul, he was the last Sultan of Granada, and who headed the Nasrid dynasty. The Nasrid Nas dynasty belongs to the Bani Nasr tribes of Arabia. He surrendered the city and handed over the keys of the Alhambra to the Catholic monarchs Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile. That's right. So so there is a connection almost with the discovery of the new world, beginning of an, of an era in the Americas, and then the end of the Arab presence in in Spain. And, and so... <coughs> And in Andalusia, and then kind of looking at the history itself, and how how did they rose into power through, well, you know, it was like the center of science. They've attracted all these scientists, philosophers, poets, right. artists. But that's everyone wanted to come here. Right, but that's kind of the that's kind of the main point that we miss a lot in the narratives, of, you know, what was happening in 1492. I mean, the missing part, at least in terms of what is articulated here in the United States and in the Americas, is this 1492 with the emphasis on Ferdinand, Isabella, and Christopher Columbus. What's missing is the 800 years of art, science, physics, mathematics, astronomy, and kind of the golden age of uh, Enlightenment in the world well before, well before Jamal, there was any kind of enlightenment in Europe. Because when Europe was in the Dark Ages, we had this thing going on with the great dynasties in, in the Iberian Peninsula, in Granada and Cordoba, of this really amazing kind of expansive uh, development of human intellect and human art and human science. It was you know, by any standard, really a remarkable time in the world. It was. And then even though I would say I started by saying, you know, at the end of the day, the Arabs came here as invaders, just like any empires, the Romans and the Greeks before them and so forth. But they left a lot uh, behind. And in fact, when you, we talk about the 800 years of history, in fact, it's longer because this is the... 800 hundred years of continuous rule and and the end of basically the dynasty itself but then there was a whole 150 to 250 years of strong arab presence here and they were referred to as the moriscas and those are the uh, basically the arabs who stayed behind didn't leave with the sultan uh, and stayed until uh, the uh, year 1609, basically, when uh, the Moriscas, who basically were either forced to convert to Catholicism or they had to leave, so they were expelled 
So there was another period in a way right, right. that even after the departure of the of the the Sultan and his uh, basically his dynasty, many of the Arabs because they were owners of businesses and they had a lot of wealth here they stayed behind. And then again in 1609 there was a, ma a massive expulsion of them. And then at the end of the day, many of them still stayed because they intermarried and some went to the caves and lived with the, the, uh, the gypsies, you know, and that's why you have the culture of flamenco. The culture is so intertwined. I mean, you can't turn around without seeing uh, basically the influence, uh, the Arab influence on architecture, on music, on, uh, you know, everything basically. How about food? And of course, yeah, of course, food, which is great food, by the way. Uh, so, so it's uh, you know it's a lot to learn about, and then uh, I started reading a little bit about the history, kind of the the last dynasty. Yeah. And again, I make the connections. We made the connection with the uh, the discovery of America, but it's also I make the connection with the demise of that dynasty and the demise of the Arab world currently, because their demise was all the rivalry and the fighting between the different emirs, right. Arab emirs, who were controlling basically the Iberian Peninsula. And they were kind of, you know, fighting each other. They were conspiring with the Spaniards. They were creating allies with the Europeans against each other, trying to undermine each other. And this is exactly what's happening in the Arab world now. So I, I see also a parallel of the lack of unity or the disunity that that kind of brought down the uh, you know the dynasty the Arab dynasty in the Iberian Peninsula and I'm we've been seeing this ongoing for the past decades yeah in the and Arab world. Uh, before we transition to current politics Jamal I, I think it's important to speak a little bit about one other aspect of the great dynasties in in the Iberian Peninsula, the great Arab Muslim dynasties. And the other thing that doesn't get spoken about that much is, in fact, how uh, multicultural, multi ethnic, and multi religious it was at a time, you know, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But if we look at where we are in the world right now, with especially in terms of American politics and European politics, with division, divisiveness, Islamophobia, xenophobia, what's happening on the border with Mexico, all of these things. Kind of ironically, that time in, in, in the great, you know, dynasties in Granada and Cordoba, they were amazingly inclusive of all religions and all ethnicities. It was a very diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-racial society. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, and, and this is also, it wasn't a black and white, so when they had... The, uh, the Arabs were in control here. It wasn't just like Arabs, uh, you know, being homogeneous here. The Christians who were here prospered. The, uh, the Jewish population in Andalusia also prospered. In fact, one of the reasons that uh, cemented the, you know, the influence of the Arabs or the control of the Arabs all over the Iberian Peninsula uh, was that the local population who were heavily taxed and abused by the rulers basically monarchs and monarchs they actually welcomed them right you know, initially because they they just wanted 
they 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 saw how they were inclusive and uh, they stayed uh, and supported them at least in the initial few hundred years right. because they were part of of the system and and that's why I said you know like there was a Jewish culture in Cordoba for example uh, of the Mizrahi or the Sephardic who, who are uh, the Jews of the Orient uh, they've had synagogues they've had uh, you know they were uh, also part of the palace uh, Maimonides the famous uh, scientist and rabbi uh, who was originally from Egypt was uh, basically an advisor an advisor to uh, to the sultan that's right so so you had that you, you're absolutely right you had that inclusiveness and uh, and then you know it's uh, like I, guess I said that's kind of the sign of culture the sign of growth the sign of uh, center of uh, discovery research uh, you know if you go to the palaces of course the palaces are beautiful but there are also several museums that you actually can see uh, you're in the medical field you see the first instruments for surgery that's right they were all they were all on display there you see uh, astronomy uh, you know uh, instruments you know all these things for calculating you know the astronomical uh, data and so forth uh, it's, it's it's actually mind-boggling to, to tell you the truth it takes a lot that's why I'm spending a lot of time because it takes a lot to learn all about it. We're speaking with uh, Arab Talk uh, co-host Jamal Dajani live from the center of historic Arab Muslim Spain in Granada. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm uh, broadcasting live from studio here at San Francisco, and we're able to speak with uh, Jamal through the wonders of. Uh, Modern technology, which probably in some sense had its foundation in historic uh, uh, Granada, Cordoba, the Arab Muslim, uh, you know, centuries of, uh, of you know, what can I say, uh, grand human development during those 800 years. Unfortunately, Jamal, we have to take a little departure from the glory of the years of that dynastic rule in the 800 years in the Iberian Peninsula. And we have to bring it back to an unfortunate reality that is with us today. And what we're going to do first is that we're going to survey and reevaluate the deal of the century, the Kushner plan, peace plan, the deal of the century has hit another, whatever the uh, opposite of apex, I guess nadir is the opposite, another low point, because if listeners have been paying attention to what we've been saying is the, the deal of the century has been a catastrophic failure. And at the there are many aspects to the failure of the peace plan, but I think most people in the world, Jamal, would argue that one of the critical aspects of Israeli occupation and ethnic cleansing in Palestine has been the expansion of settlements. And even prior to uh, Donald Trump, everybody internationally agreed that the settlements were illegal. Every president before Trump articulated international law, even though they may have uh, softened it a little bit, everybody in the world agrees that the settlements are illegal colonies on stolen Palestinian land. However, what we have nowadays with Kushner and Greenblatt 
and uh, Trump, we have a changing of the narrative because now they are referred to as disputed neighborhoods. So with that in mind, we had a major announcement this week and uh, want to get your read from the Arab and Israeli press about the announcement and the way the Israelis presented it was really, really disturbing as this kind of gift of the peace plan, Jamal, that the Israelis were going to build 6,000 new illegal colonies on stolen Palestinian land, but also offer a few hundred building permits to Palestinians. And this was pitched, Jamal, as part of the ongoing, you know, march toward the Kushner Peace Initiative. Well, what I uh, put this under is Hasbara Central. That's what I call it, Hasbara. <laughs> Hasbara Central, exactly. And if, if people don't know what's the meaning of Hasbara, this is Israeli propaganda. So this is Hasbara Central, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu actually announced the approval of the construction. This is how the media put it out, of 6,700 uh, homes, 700 of these homes will be allotted for Palestinians, 6,000 for colonial settlers. So so the idea that he was presenting it, that this is Israel's doing something good, you know, because usually they announce the construction of settlements for uh, basically the colonial settlers, and this time said, no, 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 we're, we're, we're you know, we're going to be building new homes also for Palestinians. But look at the ratio. And in the ratio you could read the apartheid part in it, yes. Yes. This is, that, that's why sometimes they, the Hasbara Central tends to kind of bites them in the behind. You know, they, they kind of outsmart themselves. So by saying that, they're trying to, to portray this kind of like inclusiveness. But if you look at it, okay, number one, let's start breaking it down. All these homes will be built on stolen Palestinian land. All these homes will be are illegal. They are basically in occupied territory. They're illegal. But if we look at the ratio, now we go back to the ratios and how Israel treats the Palestinians. You are talking about building 6,000 homes for Jewish settlers while you're building only 700 homes to for Palestinians. Now, if we're talking about the Palestinian population in the West Bank, it's about 2.8 million. Right. The settlers about seven to 800,000. So even if we want to talk just ratio-wise, let's say this is, as they say, disputed territory or Israel controls the territory, even when they practice this, they cannot avoid practicing apartheid. Exactly. They cannot av avoid apartheid itself. So how do you build these poor Palestinians? And by the way, this is the first time. So we're not even counting all the other homes that they built for these illegal uh, colonial settlers there. But if you we're, we're going to start like uh, from a uh, you know an equal or plain playing field, you're building six thousand new homes for 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 a minority group, right. while you're building seven hundred homes for a majority group. How do you define this? Well, we, we, we define that as apartheid. And uh, part of the apartheid uh, 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 aspect of apartheid, Jamal, in South Africa was never as good at this as the Israelis are, is being able to use Hasbara 
to pitch it, but I think that the audience here is just an audience of one. Because who Benjamin Netanyahu is speaking to is not to the Europeans, not to the Africans, not to Southeast Asia or anywhere else in the world. He's speaking to one person, and that one person is Donald Trump. Because the American foreign policy, in order to take that shift from occupation, illegal settlements to disputed neighborhoods, Jamal, is a radical shift in U.S. policy that could only come under the direction of Donald Trump, Jared Kushner, David Greenblatt, it's, it's, and, and the influence of APAC. There's no other way that that, that, that that could happen. So Netanyahu, who has his own problems, as we know, is only speaking, I believe, to one person, and that one person is Donald Trump. Well, that's why I say, you know, even when he speaks, even when they you know, go through the uh, Hasbara Central route, they expose themselves. Right. Because, you know, even with this, they expose themselves. They're so transparent what they're trying to do. And again, you know, like you look at the ratio that uh, they're trying to offer Palestinians, it's kind of sickening to even listen to Benjamin Netanyahu talk about it. But this is uh, one of many things just... And, and they have a lot of trouble because when, since we're talking about this whole topic of, of apartheid and discrimination, Israel has its own issue now with the Jewish Ethiopians That's right. who, who have been demonstrating because they've been treated uh, like garbage uh, in the country, even though they have been uh, forced to serve in the Israeli military and uh, everything else. They've been discriminated in schools. They've been discriminated on buses. And recently, they've uh, they've been killing their youth, you know, right. almost almost parallel to what's happened here, what's happening in the United States when cops uh, kill African Americans or people of color, and they've been demonstrating. And uh, you know, for the past years, they've actually uh, brainwashed these uh, uh, immigrants from Africa to uh, Palestine to basically to use them as. Uh, border control police to kind of attack Palestinians wherever and now in their demonstrations they have been calling for Palestinians to demonstrate with them that's right to in order to right. expose Israel's apartheid so 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 this is because you're asking me about the news these images in the news and if you read the Israeli media it's a big slap in the face of not only Benjamin Netanyahu but also his buddies our uh, ambassador, U.S. ambassador, uh, Mr. Friedman, who, by the way, recently attended a cabinet uh, meeting uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu, which uh, even the Israeli media itself criticized and commented on it. Why you are? Why are you bringing? You know, it's very unusual to bring a foreign country's ambassador to a cabinet meeting. And, and Jared Kushner and Greenblatt and, and all those who are trying to sell the concept of, uh, you know, Israel is the victim and the Palestinians are just not accepting this deal of the century, this, uh, this great deal of the century. So, so I think like a lot of things are coming together that Israel is basically, you know, grasping to the last straw when it comes to Hasbara Central, and when it comes to kind of trying to 
whitewash its image when the entire international community and certainly in Europe they understand this game uh, I think much better than, um, the, than the United States because the media here talks about it in a neutral way. Right. Uh, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. We're streaming live at the KPOO.com website. And all of this will be posted, obviously, to all of the accounts, SoundCloud, Facebook Live, YouTube. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But, Jamal, speaking of Hasbara, um, you recently posted um, a very interesting uh, video on Facebook that has gone viral, some 20 million people. Now, that's, that's big time, man. Posted a video which was... Has captured the imagination. It's gone viral. It's captured the imagination of, you know, tens of millions of people now. Jamal, you need to give us. You need to break it down for our listeners. Number one, and then number two, let them know where they can see this video. It's very, it's very compelling. So it's it's actually a super. I would say viral. It went super viral because. I don't think CNN has 20, 20 million views on, on its videos for anything. in less than three, four days, basically. Right. Yes. So this video, last I looked at it, it's over 20 million views right on my Facebook, which is Jamal Dajani too, so for those people who want to see it. And of course, I'm grateful to the person uh, who forwarded it to me. And so, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the video, but basically, uh, Going back to the Israeli propaganda and the Hasbara Central, and this is part of the whole campaign, the campaign of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu going uh, to Bahrain, trying to establish uh, an embassy there, right, and into the Gulf region and so forth. So Israel uh, has recently, uh, through the uh, through its uh, foreign ministry, invited six hand-picked Arab bloggers, you know, they Sherry picked six bloggers from and from and so, all over the Arab world, right? Yeah, to well, I'll tell you exactly. They they had a delegation, basically, all expenses similar to those junket uh, that Israel flies the congressmen and congresswomen from the United States to go there. They handpicked six Arab bloggers. The delegation of uh, bloggers included. Uh, from Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Iraq, Jordan, Egypt. This is according to, Israel, to the Israeli media. So with the exception of Jordan and Egypt, of course, as, you, as our listeners know, none of these countries has uh, formal diplomatic ties with Israel. So they're projecting this move, you know, to, to see that, you know, normalization is, is basically being unfolded now now we can bring arab bloggers the next time we bring arab journalists and so forth so they've sent uh, these invitations all expenses paid <clears throat> now i don't know much about the other bloggers because the one who made who made headlines basically just is uh, the saudi blogger who uh, the video you're talking about who you've seen basically in this video actually i've posted three videos but one of them 
the other two had several thousands views. But this had 20 million. Yeah, this, this had... one had 20 million. <coughs> and it's it's not what you see in the videos, what you also hear in the video. Right. And of course, it's in Arabic. So, so this Saudi blogger is, of course, he's accompanied by uh, his Israeli handler walking the whole city and he gets chairs tossed at him, <laughs> swears, insult, go back, you are a traitor, you are blah, blah, blah. You, you don't belong in this sacred city, the, uh, everything, you know. And, uh, I'm, and I'm being nice, I'm being nice because some of the words I can't say them on, uh, on, on the radio. And for whatever reason, it just kind of, you know, spread like fire. But basically because people recognized him, because is, the Israeli media has been parading him everywhere for, for the past weeks even before he came right <clears throat> and he made stupid statements saying like you know Israel should control Jerusalem and uh, you know Palestinians can stay in Lebanon you know things that really were very hurtful uh, you know uh, for Palestinians and <clears throat> you know like so, so, so when people recognize him, of course, he is, it's, he's hard to miss because he has, number one, what you don't show in the video, you only see one of his handlers, but I'm sure they had security and he's wearing a full Saudi attire. So it's not hard, he, he wasn't hard to miss. And earlier he was taking pictures with the Israeli Knesset members, one of them, is um, the name will come back to me is one of the uh, oh uh, he's a he's a Likud Knesset member his name is Yehuda Glick I don't know if that rings a bell no but he he's he ta he usually part of the groups that break into Al Aqsa Mosque oh that's and, right that's and, right and, and and they go and they have plans to replace Al Aqsa compound with the Jewish temple. They, you know, he actually belongs to that group, and he goes and incites uh, Palestinians. In fact, he got shot one time, so he has a big history of incitement. So he goes with him and poses with him in front of the Knesset. Of course, that's plastered all over the Israeli media. It's plastered on the internet. It's plastered on TV, and that's why people reacted to him the way they reacted because as you know Palestinians are very hospitable if any foreigner they're actually eager to meet foreigners right and they're very welcoming right. and they, they've it's not like not only Arab foreigners who actually you know many you know uh, Arabs go to visit there whether they're Egyptians or Jordan or from Jordan or other countries they usually are welcome uh, and but this guy was used as a clown and that's what I, I said about him uh, basically and paraded a around to incite and, and uh, intimidate Palestinians and they've sent him a very strong message and so that whole Hasbara part failed fired it failed and it failed and backfired well you know, Jamal, I think that I'm I'm hoping that uh, this video makes its way into the U.S. press, maybe hopefully through your your Facebook account, and maybe somebody should put 
more English subtitles on everything that is said because that would also make it even more compelling. But the reason Israeli Hasbara fails is because it's based on a lie. And all Israeli Hasbara, their narrative is built on lies, deceit, illegality, and, uh, you know, basically assaults to international human rights. So I guess it's no surprise that the Hasbara failed, but what is surprised is the depth and the breadth of 20 million plus viewers looking at this and being able to see the reality of the Hasbara and how it fails. So my question to you, Jamal, how in what universe do the Israelis, the Americans, the Saudis think that people are going to watch these bloggers and say, oh, I guess things are not so bad in Palestine. Maybe we've been wrong for 71 years. Are, are they that delusional to think that somehow the Arab world is going to look at these bloggers and change their minds? Well, I mean, you have few, that's why I said uh, these bloggers were sherry-picked uh, just because with what's going on, and, and I have to say some of the Israeli Hasbara does work, some, you know, uh, and because of the millions of dollars that Israel pours into it, and because of the Hasbara trolls it hires, there's right. a whole de department right. behind it. So they find some ignorant and weak minds. And, and as I said, they can cherry-pick few clowns, like like the Saudi clown, to come. Which, by the way, who has he has been denounced by thousands and of, of Saudis, and uh, and he by no means when we talk about him, he is a representation of uh, the honourable citizens of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and then they'll find somebody, you know, from Lebanon, or they'll find somebody from, you know, they, you'll, you'll always, you can always find someone who is willing for a few dollars or for a free trip or a free meal uh, to kind of, uh, you know, march in your parade. And, and but in this case here, and, you know, you don't hear about these stories time and time again, because I watch always a lot of, uh, and, you know, I spend a lot of time also monitoring social media you see a lot of crazy things and stupid things but uh, you don't expect that they'll get this kind of attention like this uh, this thing here especially because all of these things are happening at the same time you know the kushner parade and then this clowns parade and uh, what's happening you know you know in palestine itself there is this big push that israel has been doing, and if we want to even expand on this, and the major attack on the BDS movement abroad, right. college campuses in the United States, in other in un other countries, it's all connected. Yeah, it's bas basically to whitewash is the Israeli crimes and to basically label pro-Palestinians as anti-Semites because this is what. What's the attack on the BDS movement? That's exactly right, Jamal. And although we don't have time to talk about it today, there has been some recent developments in the BDS movement, both at the national and the state and local levels, both contradictory because the, the anti-BDS rhetoric is making its way through the Congress, both in the House and the Senate. 
even the so-called progressive candidates within the Democratic presidential uh, cadre who are running for president right now, you know, except for just a handful, not even a handful, maybe just two, have come out strongly against criminalizing the BDS movement. There, there's going to be some more, more, more developments on this that will be very interesting, which we'll have to, uh, you know, bring up at another show because we do have to transition from Israeli Hasbara to U.S. Hasbara and what's happening to the Congresswomen who have been labeled as the squad um, and the vicious, racist, xenophobic attacks that the President of the United States continues to go after these four women of color. Now he's going after Elijah Cummings, um, kind of an icon in the African-American civil rights movement. He's attacked Elijah Cummings as being racist. So Donald Trump is calling Elijah Cummings racist. He's called the squad, these four women of color who are duly elected by their, uh, by their constituents to represent them in the Congress as racist. And now, I mean, and you and I have talked about this, Jamal. We've always talked about how this can be an incitement to violence. Well, that incitement has reached a new level. And uh, within the last couple of days, there's been a gun store in North Carolina that has taken out a large billboard with the pictures of the four Congresswomen of color, Ayanna Presley, AOC, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. And it says, basically, the four horsemen are coming. And for those of our listeners that may not fully appreciate that reference, it's a biblical reference to the four horsemen who came to destroy the world, basically. This was the four horsemen were basically a sign or a presence of the end of times coming, destroying civilization. Now, you know, for Trump to endorse the xenophobic, uh, Islamophobic, send her back rhetoric is a level of incitement that is truly disgusting. But Jamal, I'm afraid to say that this level of incitement is is reaching even a higher level when people, a gun store in North Carolina is now advertising it. When you see the ad, and I'm hoping you're going to post it on your Facebook, when you see this ad, it looks like it's it's basically saying we need to take up arms against duly elected congresswomen in the United States House of Representatives. This is beyond unacceptable. It is, in my humble opinion, uh, crosses the line into some sort of illegality because I'm not sure what else besides this, Jamal, is an incitement to violence. Well, it is an incitement to violence. I mean, you've described it clearly, and you've described, uh, you're right, many people don't know that this is something uh, biblical, you know, this whole analogy. Um, maybe some people don't know that. But uh, also, I mean, we are in an era now where Donald Trump has pretty much given a carte blanche for these type of things. Not, and we're not talking about the, his mega supporters and, 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 and these type of crowds, but you're talking also about politicians. Rand Paul if you remember, said that he would help pay for the airline ticket to send 
representative Ilhan Omar to Somalia. Unbelievable. I mean, this is this is this is. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. This is, uh, this is uh, in an interview with uh, uh, the right-wing website Breitbart. Last week, I was reading about it. He said uh, that uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is ungrateful as you can get. This is what he said: ungrateful. I mean, here is a politician. Here is someone who came here to this country, got elected by her constituency to Congress. He calls her basically un-American. When you are a member of Congress and you're ungrateful for to the United States, you're an un-American. This is, this, is, this is what he's calling her. And so he said, and I'm quoting, and so I'm willing to contribute to buy her a ticket to go visit Somalia, and I think she can look and maybe learn a little bit about the disaster that is Somalia, that has no capitalism, that has no God, no God-given rights guaranteed in a constitution, and has about seven different tribes that have been fighting each other for the last 40 years. Of course, now he gets into the racist part and, and makes himself an expert on Somalia. on Somalia. And then and he continues, maybe after she visited Somalia for a while, she might she might come back and appreciate America more. So and this is so Jamal. Rand Paul, which I'm sure his father would have been very disappointed because I can't imagine his father would have said something like this. So let me ask you a question, Jamal. Do you think that white congressmen or congresswomen when they criticize legitimately the policies of the United States, are ever called ungrateful. Isn't it interesting how only women of color in the Congress and men of color in the Congress, when they have the audacity to criticize certain policies of the United States, as soon as a, a person of color is criticized, is critical of policies, they're labeled as ungrateful. The subtext, of course, Jamal, we know the subtext, right? That only people who are white, who belong to the dominant class, uh, are allowed to be critical. If you're critical and a person of color, you're automatically labeled as ungrateful. And for Rand Paul or anybody to do this to Ilhan Omar or any congresswoman of color or any congressman of color, anybody, just because they're critical of policies that are clearly racist, xenophobic, and really doing harm, you know, we've reached a level, I think, of uh, incitement that, uh, you know, we just haven't seen. This is, this is a, and by the way, Jamal, tonight is a very important night. Donald Trump is having uh, a rally in Ohio. And the big thing that I want you to give a prediction on, because people in the crowd are going to say the MAGA can, uh, chant, which is, send her back. They're going to say that tonight. What is your prediction as to what Donald Trump will say once the crowd starts saying that? Because he's tried to distance himself initially from that chant, and then he took, and then he took it back, and now he's been getting more heat for it. Let's see if you could put your prediction hat on. You've got your, you've got your European style hat on right now. For our listeners, can't see this, but uh, you'll see it later on uh, 
on YouTube and Facebook. How will Donald Trump respond to his expansive racist attacks when he hears the send her back message tonight? Well, I mean, this is, again, another opportunity for Donald Trump to go over his long laundry list of attacks on everyone he or everyone who criticizes him for one thing uh, starting uh, you know with Ilhan Omar with Rashida Tlaib with the with the OAC to Al Sharpton uh, right haven't mentioned recently right who well, he, he was they were buddies uh, as far as as I recall so this will be an opportunity for him to kind of go down the line and and name and of course an, another opportunity to kind of comment on the uh, democratic uh, debates, I would think. And then everything is is unpredictable. He's he's gonna kind of play along with well, however the wind is uh, blowing. If if this is the chant, he might go there because I don't think now he's gonna stop or he's gonna. Uh, you know, and his attack on any of uh, these women and women, of course, of color. I mean, the guy called one of, I mean, if you're the president of the United States, you represent the entire United States. You represent every town, every city, every locality. And what did he call Baltimore, right? Right. I mean, I mean, it's embarrassing to be an American in Europe or to talk about the president of the United States talking about a major city, you know as the way he was talking about it. No, that's right, Jamal. I have a... Rat-infested, and the terminologies he uses, basically, that are... He repeats them time and time again. Okay, I have a prediction. And this is... And you should know this, because you lived in New York. Donald Trump's strategy is, is to double down, triple down, and quadruple down. So, my prediction is that... You will hear those chants tonight coming from Ohio residents going to the Trump rally, the MAGA crowd. And Donald Trump will do nothing to to dial the tension, to dial the racism, to dial the hate, to dial the incitement down. He will double and triple and quadruple down. In whatever way he does it, it's no way going to change the dynamic that he has created right now where he's attacking every single person of color that is critical of his policies. I mean, Elijah Cummings has served his district and has served his country with dignity and honor for decades as a representative for Baltimore. And for him to attack Elijah Cummings is beyond the pale. I I don't know why you you think it's beyond the pale, I mean, coming from Donald Trump, because anyone who is good is bad for Donald Trump. Donald Trump would rather praise the likes of Epstein, of, uh, you know, he has been hanging around with rapists and child molesters like Epstein, and the list goes all the way, you know, how many of them are now serving in jail or under indictment. Look at the crowd he surrounds himself with. Well, that's exactly right. So, you know, this is his crowd. And then anyone else who is decent or halfway decent who attacks him, he's going to just basically load up on him with all kinds of crap, attack him, 
make up things. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, he's, he should be the last person throwing a stone at people, and yet he does it. I mean, he, le- he lives in a house of glass, literally, but yet he keeps throwing right. stones, stones at people like as if he's the most decent person and everyone else is not. So, Jamal, I want to add something to the attack on Baltimore, which is an amazing American city. You know, of course, with problems that any major American city has, but Baltimore is a great, amazing city. Now, for him to call Baltimore infested is kind of interesting because Donald Trump's son-in-law, Kushner Properties and the Kushner Company, have thousands of uh, re- uh, thousands of apartments in Baltimore that they have engaged in, you know, basically slumlord policies against the residents of Baltimore. And what I mean by that, have it built building these apartments, not maintaining them. The apartments are run down. The rents keep rising, and they try to evict the people of color from these apartments. So his son-in-law. Uh, is basically a slumlord in Baltimore. And I think it's kind of ironic that he would choose to criticize Baltimore when his son-in-law and daughter are benefiting greatly from slumlord practices in in Baltimore for many decades now. Just kind of interesting. Well, again, he doesn't care. He he basically doesn't care. I mean, you're talking about uh, his son-in-law being a slumlord. Donald Trump himself is a slumlord. If you look at the history of uh, the apartments he inherited from his father, right, and and uh, and the history, uh, which is documented, uh, of evicting people of color and raising the rents on them, and and cases of discrimination, how many times uh, they have been reported to the housing authority, it's all documented. I mean, so like I said, I now nothing surprises me. Uh, that comes out of the mouth of Donald Trump. We have a few minutes just, yes. just quickly because about the uh, the uh, debates, the democratic debates. Right. We can talk about this next week, and I've been uh, viewing them. Uh, I'm not impressed. I am not so far. No. I mean, I, I, I'm going to go with what you have been saying. My it's prediction is coming this. true. Donald I know. Trump will likely to win in 2020. Yeah, the Democrats are weak, Jamal, and they did that. And the big debate last night was disturbing at many levels. The everybody on stage, including Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, did not strike me or anybody as really super sophisticated in their in their policies and their points. But more disturbingly you saw a concerted effort to attack the former president of the United States, Barack Obama. So you have Democrats using Republican talking points, Democratic candidates for president, using Republican talking points to attack each other. And to, to, I'm sorry, to attack Barack Obama, to attack, you know, one another. It was, it's a farce, Jamal. It's embarrassing. And I, I hate to say this, but everything I saw last night, unfortunately, supports my my really tragic prediction that Donald Trump has a solid chance of being reelected. It's really, it's really tragic. What can I say? 
Yeah, they have to keep. They have to change their strategy. I would. I believe that immediately, maybe yesterday, not today. At least half of them should just go home and drop out of the race and stop wasting our time, because if they're going to keep doing this, and then and then here comes the supposedly the September debate, and then and wait till the end of the year, and we still have 20 plus people competing. There is no way on earth that's right that they, that a Democratic candidate will win. I have to say, I did like uh, basically the only, I would say, Bernie and uh, Elizabeth uh, Warren. Elizabeth Warren kind of ticket is the most feasible one. So they should consolidate around this and stop wasting our time talking about nonsense and attacking each other instead of attacking the policies of Donald Trump the racism, the xenophobia, and then just going and talking about whether Obamacare was good for the country and not. And also, we should be also factual, and here is a fun fact, and maybe some people might not like this, Jess, yes. but we also have to you know, admit the mistakes of, uh, of Obama. And That's I'm not fine. Get in no, and but I'm that's not fine. Talk about the international level, but no, but Obama, that's fine. Obama deported more than three million immigrants. But okay, versus, versus two millions who were deported under George W. Bush, and less than one million under Bill Clinton. So even the Trump administration isn't deporting people as fast as Obama did. Yeah, but that's, that's a fact. Yeah, but that's not the point right now. The the point right now as a candidate is your strategy and the strategy is a losing one on that bombshell though Jamal we have to we have to we have to say goodbye to our listeners you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM we're going to be posting all of our shows to our our all of our uh, sites where you can catch them on podcasts at arabtalkradio.com Go and check out this crazy viral video on Jamal's Facebook account. It's uh, Jamal Dejani 2, the number, Jamal Dejani 2 on Facebook. And Jamal, any final comments before we sign off? No, let's uh, hope uh, we have a, uh, I think, uh, let, let's see if this kind of uh, democratic debate is going to take a better turn because... Uh, it's not looking good. It's not looking good, and so hopefully we can start covering something substantial yeah. with these candidates, new ideas that they can come up with, new plans, instead of just cannibalizing each other. All right. We'll see everybody next week on Arab Talk. See you next week, Jamal. See you next week. <laughs>